Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Belarus now is in the focus of everyone after a visit of Alexander Lukashenko in Moscow meeting Putin. This is Monday, 21st of February 2022. Uh, my name is Wojciech Przybylski, Kamil Jaronczyk, Miles Maftian are uh, with me in, uh, in our virtual studio and we're discussing weekly outlook. Uh, Kamil, what else is at stake uh, in Central European uh, democratic security? Yes, um, a lot, I'm sure um, everyone is uh, looking at uh, Ukraine at the moment, but something that is maybe going a little bit under the radar, but something that we've been looking into uh, during the uh, within the weekly outlook is um, the referendum, which was announced after the 2020 uh, uh, revolt, uh, well, uh, re revolution in uh, Belarus, the unsuccessful uh, protests against the rigged elections of Alexander Lukashenko, with uh, such widespread um, dissatisfaction in the country, um, a short-term fix that was proposed by, uh, not a short-term, but a long-term fix, uh, in quote-unquote, which was proposed by uh, the um, the so-called president of uh, Belarus, uh, Alexander Lukashenko. Uh, was that um, that a referendum would be held uh, with uh, popular, uh, with everyone being allowed to send in their ideas, and uh, it, it, uh, on paper, it's uh, of course it it, it uh, hit all the marks uh, that uh, that of course uh, such things. But of course, uh, in the proposed amendments to the uh, uh, to the uh, constitution, uh, there were there are uh, ways to cement his uh, rule. As well as make make the country more uh, more under his under his grip. Um, this uh, yeah, this referendum was um, called long ago. The draft has been published already. Just one draft was published on his on the website of the of the president. And uh, on the twenty seventh of February, this Sunday, uh, there will be a voting with only one question on the ballot. Uh, do you accept the amendments and the additions to the Constitution of the Republic of Belarus? Uh, and um, the only and the only international organization that will be sending observers is the Commonwealth of Independent States. So uh, it's uh, questionable uh, to how um, how democratic it will be. Oh, and no Belarusians will be allowed to uh, vote outside of Belarus itself for numerous reasons, of course. So and the political setup and the political um, uh, situation in Belarus is likely to be even further consolidated around the junta um, that Mr. Lukashenko organized after rigged elections. Uh, none of the international uh, community countries of you know the OSC, except for Russia, recognized the election results really, and uh, and now he makes this second attempt at the point gun really for the Belarusian society. Because the other uh, development of that weekend is that the Ministry of Defense announced that the Russian troops will stay in the country indefinitely, and uh, it also the ministry also hinted uh, that while there are exercises conducted unannounced uh, and conducted in the in the past ten days, there is also uh, um, a mounting up presence of Russian troops on the border with Ukraine. This is the very border uh, that is the closest um, to Kiev, uh, seen from the Ukrainian perspective. The, this is also the area contaminated after the Chernobyl um, uh, catastrophe in, in the 80s. And the, 
of course, this situation at present um, uh, consolidates the regime. It is to the aid of Mr. Lukashenko in keeping his power as, a, um, as his strategy moves away from being sort of independent of Russia to uh, fully vassalized um, uh, conditions where Russian troops um, are, uh, are going to be now uh, the kind of holding, uh, holding Belarus and Belarusians. Um, uh, captive in a way of, of, of the political situation, political setup that has emerged. So indeed, uh, there are more things going on um, in the region when we look at the Ukrainian uh, situation, at the situation around Ukrainian borders. It's a Russian, uh, Russian instilled crisis on Ukraine. We have heard a lot of speeches, of course, during the Munich Security uh, Conference. But there is also there are also things that go um, under the radar, and we try try to flash them out in, with the weekly outlook. Um, now, what else uh, is there that we should focus on, and what else is coming up as an emerging um, discussion? Miles, uh, uh, anything that uh, you would uh, hint at? Yeah, for sure. So we actually have a text um, this this coming week by uh, our, one of our Marching Crow fellows, Alina Barganau, um, where she essentially discusses the question of disinformation, um, but disinformation about obviously COVID and the pandemic that we've had, but it's discussed in a more holistic way. So the idea of this battleground of narratives that we have, uh, that what we what we generally see now isn't necessarily um, just a response to the pandemic. Uh, but one of the most interesting parts of this is, is that she points to the low level of trust. Uh, she points to the low level of trust that's basically seen in a lot of Central and Eastern European countries. Um, and she kind of saw that the comparison here between the average for, for the EU, for um, more of the Western um, countries that are part of the EU tend to trust their institutions more. Interestingly, when we had um, Merili Ariakas uh, on our podcast last week, she discussed the fact that why disinformation isn't necessarily so much of a problem in Estonia is because they actually do have this idea that there is some trust uh, with government officials, with institutions, and so forth, and this sort of fair play um, uh, principle, uh, which means that the government actually would want, and the people believe that the government would want to do good on behalf of their citizens. So this is something that Alina kind of shows isn't necessarily uh, that CEE is certainly lagging behind. And of course, this is a massive problem now when you kind of see that what's happening in not only Belarus and, and Ukraine, you see that Russia is trying to essentially play onto this anti, um, uh, anti-EU sentiments, or they're essentially trying to show more divisions uh, within the EU. And these are divisions that you can see very, very much in the actual disinformation campaigns themselves, that you can uh, understand the sort of East-West divide that happens very often um, but apart from this, you know, she does offer prescriptions. She does offer a way out of this. And 
we can read it on the on Visegrad Insight, um, but essentially just to kind of talk about that for for a second, it's one sentence, and that's you need strong democratic security in order to actually build trust for institutions and for the government, for individual citizens, in order for us to even then talk about or to go into what the prescriptions of combating disinformation is. Thank you, Miles. Uh, and indeed, we do recommend Alina's, um, Alina's analysis. It, 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 it basically hits a uh, bullseye in the, in the system, in the systemic problem of, of all the Central European governance. And trust is uh, a re recurring uh, theme of, of several of the analysis. But here, Alina uh, nails it down and we uh, very much recommend Herpes this week, uh, Camille. Back to you on on the questions of what else is there that um, that the weekly outlook uh, the, the weekly outlook has flashed out um, uh, for uh, you know important topics of, of, of democratic security in the region. Uh, yes, of course. Um, uh, uh, Belarus, of course, is something that we want to highlight, but of course, we can't uh, forget uh, what's happening in in Ukraine. Uh, something that um, uh, happened uh, that was quite interesting was uh, reports of uh, um, uh, of uh, evacuation of people from Donbass to Rostov um, uh, to actual Russia of uh, women and children. It was uh, made quite the news. But um, uh, but uh, looking further into that story, uh, apparently the, the Russia wasn't actually prepared for accepting these people, and uh, and many of them actually. Uh, had uh, were, are returning back to Do, uh, to the Donbas uh, to Donbas because there isn't uh, uh, food or lodging for them, uh, as reported by the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine. So um, uh, other reports of uh, that Americans have uh, claimed of uh, of uh, misinformation tactics, uh, we do see them actually uh, happening om uh, almost uh, exactly to the way that the U.S. has said, such as the video uh, the video that was reported. That video did uh, actually was released in uh, uh, with a quote unquote Ukrainian spy, and um, and of course the question constantly of the uh, recognition of the Donetsk and Lugansk uh, so called People's Republics. Um, these these are all the, the examples of something we we have seen, of course, in the past. But the interesting change of that dynamics is the uh, the type of response uh, brought about by United States uh, NATO allies um, in uh, in the eve of um, of instances of such uh, disinformation packages. Uh, we knew, for instance, in advance um, of the of the plans that Russians have had regarding uh, provocation of uh, false flag operations. And also, uh, it was forecasted uh, when it comes to disinformation that the fake videos might be produced that would that would serve as a false pretext to um, for Russians to invade. So, not even um, an instance of uh, of fighting, but a, a mock-up, uh, a fake uh, fake event, uh, which would only be televised and spread online. The interesting thing, I think, uh, I believe, is. Is that the the type of response that is about forecasting disinformation has been um, now playing out quite well in uh, debunking this in advance and being prepared for the kind of um, the false narratives that would emerge. Uh, at the same time, 
it's apparent what Russia is doing. And then again, the famous title of the book, also a famous book by Peter Pomerantsev is, uh, is coming up. Well, nothing is true and everything's possible. This is uh, a very postmodern t- tactics of um, uh, you know, imposing on the real world the unreal uh, narrative and visuals, uh, fake uh, essentially, in order to create real life events. This is hopefully the peak, uh, but let's not the, the last word is not yet of what we have seen of uh, as a as a uh, information or disinformation war uh, uh, waged by Russia uh, from the um, uh, from the previous uh, from, from you know the several now uh, decades of of digital information warfare. So that is super interesting. At the same time, when all of that happens, let me just uh, um, come to uh, the, 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 the analysis on Polish situation, which is very, very interesting. I think on one side, uh, Poland is presiding OSC mission and OSC uh, as a symbol of a European security setup here is really under attack. It's not just about Ukraine. Poland presiding OSC has just called for an OSC extraordinary meeting in Ukraine on Monday, 21st, on the day we record this podcast. At the same time, um, it has its representative, Mr. Rao, Mr. Foreign Affairs, have visited Russia. Poland is trying to play um, a, an international role. It is, in a way, destined to to come in aid of, of Ukraine. And with the government that has been so much embodied, uh, um, in, um, in, um, embattled with the rule of law problems in the past, you see uh, not really a shift, but uh, uh, an effort to reconcile with the key institutions, which are on one side, the Americans, um, uh, American-led NATO uh, overall, when it comes to you know the uh, um, the problems over the media freedom and the attempts to uh, curtail the, the media freedom of American-owned uh, TV channel, it has just been awarded a concession. Another channel of discovery uh, network in Poland has been awarded uh, extension of the concession TVN um, TVN Seven, which is more of an entertainment network, but still important in the scheme of things. And that that was withheld to the last moment, but eventually passed, despite attempts of the government to, um, uh, to limit its operations uh, in Poland. And uh, also, there are talks and attempts and negotiations uh, with the European Commission. Importantly, there is a, a delegation of members of European Parliament coming to meet with the National Judiciary Council. The Council, which is at the heart of the rule of law problem with uh, with uh, with uh, bright accusations about having this whole process of nominating judges politicized and yet um, there are um, there are attempts to bring bring uh, to, to, to match the gap between the government of Poland and the EU institutions after uh, European Court of Justice also ruled that the rule of law mechanism has to be in place. Um, which means that the Polish government is making the steps or some of the steps uh, that are enabling European institutions to uh, also to come forward and hopefully to see uh, the role of the rule of law uh, soon to be um, 
de-escalating. Okay, so I think that's it for the weekly um, outlook. And uh, now let's listen to the uh, interview by Tatiana Poliakrovic. Good time of the day to our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another Visegrad Insight podcast episode about Western Balkans. This time we'll touch upon the topic of corruption in the region. My name is Tatiana Polagruic and today my guest is Radomir Kraczkovic, journalist from Montenegro, news editor and TV presenter. Radomir, welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast. If there is something else you'd like to add about yourself, please welcome. Hello from uh, my side. Uh, my name is uh, Radomir Kraczkovic, as you already said uh, i'm a journalist for 18 years mostly in private uh, uh, television vst in uh, montenegro also uh, doing uh, previous uh, in two uh, two also private tv stations uh, in uh, montenegro i'm also a news editor and uh, tv presenter uh, uh, additionally uh, i'm also very active in uh, our uh, me- media trade union in Montenegro. I'm a vice president of uh, trade uh, union of uh, media of uh, Montenegro and uh, also have uh, some specific uh, duties uh, in this uh, organization. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, my first question would be uh, what topics you mostly report on and how often some corruption related issues become your focus? Uh, well, uh, the topics of uh, corruption and, and organized uh, crime are mostly in, in our uh, focus uh, of our uh, central uh, news, uh, and I'm the editor of, of uh, those news, uh, mostly in, in some previous years, because we uh, have uh, lots of uh, problems in Montenegro with, uh, with uh, those uh, uh, things, uh, because we have had a lot of uh, murders between uh, criminal gangs in uh, our uh, country and also uh, Serbia. Uh, we uh, have also uh, a lot uh, of uh, smugglings of uh, cigarettes and uh, drugs uh, from uh, South America, but we uh, have uh, some uh, results, some good results by, uh, by our authorities last uh, months uh, because we we have had uh, uh, two big uh, seizures of of cocaine in uh, in our uh, country uh, i think the biggest in, in this region so uh, this was the uh, the the main topics of uh, our work uh, also on on the other side because of uh, political turmoil in montenegro uh, we have uh, also to, to focus on, on those uh, things, but uh, the politics is sometimes uh, connected with uh, corruption and uh, organized crime, and uh, this is uh, that's the way it is in, in countries of, of Western Balkans. Obviously, you close, uh, closely follow the events, not only in Montenegro, as you mentioned, but, but in the region. And uh, what is your assessment? How are Western Balkan countries are doing in terms of tackling corruption and fighting organized crime? Um, if you were to take last 10 years, for example, did the countries move forward? What do you think? 
Well, I, I believe that the countries of the Western Balkans do not have some impressive results in the fight against corruption and uh, organized crime, although there are uh, some uh, progress, uh, as in my country, uh, Montenegro, last month. Uh, fight against corruption and uh, organized crime needs strong political will. Well, in the Western Balkans, I think that uh, we uh, usually have a stronger fight against corruption and uh, organized crime after the change of, of government, uh, after the transfer of uh, power. Uh, but it quickly stops because uh, uh, every or each new uh, government have also uh, its own power, powerful tycoons, uh, businessmen, and in some cases... Uh, criminal uh, structures, structures which is uh, very, uh, very dangerous. Uh, uh, but uh, as I've already said in uh, Montenegro, in uh, last twelve months, we have not had as many uh, murders as uh, before uh, because uh, the war of powerful criminal gangs in uh, our country has subsided a bit, and we. Uh, also have uh, two large scissors of cocaine from uh, from South America. Uh, however, uh, I think that uh, the main masterminds and drivers of organized uh, crime uh, are still free in the Western uh, Balkans. Uh, the powerful uh, men uh, who smuggle drugs or or lead clans uh, and uh, there are still free, with the exception maybe uh, in Serbia, which arrested the, the leaders of the leaders of most powerful uh, criminal clan after their monstrous crimes. But uh, we also have some serious uh, accusations that this clan worked for the government uh, previous uh, previous years. Uh, in northern uh, Macedonia, or in north uh, Macedonia, we also have an intensified fight against uh, corruption and uh, organized crime after the transfer of power uh, 2015. Uh, but former Prime Minister Nikola Gruevski, as uh, we know, of, avoided uh, arrest and uh, uh, got political uh, asylum in, in Hungary from, from the government of Mr. Viktor uh, Orban. In Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, we have the problem of uh, frequent political blockades, uh, clashes uh, between, uh, uh, between um, uh, ethnicities in, in this uh, country, and uh, judicial institutions are... Uh, difficult to function uh, in, in, in these conditions. Uh, we have uh, some numerous accusations against national leaders in, in Bosnia and uh, Herzegovina, but uh, so far uh, there are no any, any investigation, uh, investigations, as I know. Uh, so in general, uh, it's rare in, in, in Western Balkans that the accused politicians end up in prison, uh, despite of uh, serious uh, allegations against uh, uh, them. In, in some cases, we have 
uh, allegations which last for for years or, or uh, decades, uh, like in like in uh, Montenegro. Uh, so I think that the the biggest fish in in this in these countries are are still free. Uh, when we uh, talk, uh, uh, is there uh, some move forward in in uh, last uh, 10 years uh, i could say that uh, there is uh, some progress uh, in, in the per- in the period of the, after the transfer of power or changing the government in in those countries but the the change changes of uh, government are also so rare in in our countries we we have uh uh, long-lasting uh, uh, governments in in all, all these uh, countries, like in Montenegro, for example, for thirty years, or now in Serbia for ten years. Also in in Albania, we also have in uh, North Macedonia uh, ten years. In Bosnia and Herzegovina, national leaders are uh, most uh, popular uh, almost uh, thirty years since uh, the end of the of the war. Uh, so uh, the the final results are uh, lacking because of all of uh, that, and uh, as I said, the drivers of organized crime and corruption are uh, still uh, free. This is also pointed out by the European Commission in in uh, its uh, reports every year. Uh, for example, uh, the fight against high-level corruption is uh, constantly being sought uh, uh, for Montenegro. Uh, but uh, uh, there is also perception uh, that uh, EU will uh, tolerate all these uh, problems as long as this, this our area is peaceful, as long as there are uh, no some uh, conflicts uh, 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 or wars uh, in in our uh, region, because then it would have to engage uh, directly in in our region. So all all, all in all, there is uh, some uh, progress, but but some uh, big impressive final uh, results are still lacking. Okay, thank you, thank you very much for such uh, such a broad assessment. Because my next question would be: um, Are any of the countries could be considered a success story? But I think it's difficult to say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult because there is no, by my opinion, any country in our region that can be considered as a completely successful story. There are some changes, but there are no uh, ma- major changes and. Uh, I think uh, it was a reason why European Commission has decided to change methodology uh, in negotiations with uh, with uh, all these uh, countries in the Western Balkans. So now uh, no chapter will be uh, closed uh, before the big results are delivered in two key chapters 23 and uh, 24 uh, concerning the rule of law or uh, uh, those those problems, the fight against uh, corruption and organized crime. Right. So you mentioned uh, European Commission and uh, another question of mine would be about the role of international actors like you or, or US 
in in helping Western Balkan countries uh, addressing uh, corruption issues or organized crime issues. Uh, do you think they could do more? And if yes, then how? Well, I think that uh, EU and the uh, United States want to see progress in 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 this uh, field, and uh, they are uh, investing uh, a lot uh, in uh, educating police, prosecutors, judges, courts, civil servants to to better combat those those problems. Uh, they also give a lot of money to, to civil society in the region uh, because uh, the uh, civil society organizations are uh, the best monitors uh, of uh, these phenomena and uh, they uh, indicate that there are no results uh, in, in a fight against corruption and organized crime. Uh, also, the EU is clear, uh, as I have already said, that uh, there uh, will no be entry of, of new, uh, new uh, members from the Western uh, Balkans until credible uh, results uh, in the fight against uh, uh, corruption and uh, organized crime uh, are uh, delivered. Uh, so I think that uh, EU and USA, they uh, can't uh, help uh, anymore because they they have a lot of uh, uh, investments in in uh, those regions in in all these uh, all these fields that I mentioned, uh, and I think that every country in the region uh, that wants to join uh, the the EU and uh, uh, which is most important, its uh, leaders must be uh, aware that uh, without solving uh, all these uh, problem, problems, there will be no uh, entry of uh, those countries uh, uh, in the EU. Uh, so uh, this position is slowly being accepted uh, by leading politicians uh, in the region and uh, now it's time uh, for them to uh, deliver uh, the concrete results. Okay, Radimir, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank, uh, thank you for your invitation and uh, thank you for, for this conversation. This episode was supported by the International Visegrad Fund. Stay tuned for our next podcast and there will be more. Bye-bye.